This morning I'd like to pray and um, I'd like to direct your attention to Luke, Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse uh, 13. Um, Luke chapter 12. Uh, let's, let's pray, ask God to bless our time together, and then we'll read and say a few things, Lord willing. Uh, let, let's pray. Uh, our Father, in Jesus' name, we come and we, we thank you uh, because you're good to us. We don't deserve you, but uh, we have you by grace and we are thankful. God, help our hearts to be even more thankful and uh, filled with celebrating you and, and blessing you and uh, reminding one another of your goodness and your grace towards us, your mercies new every morning. Father, this is your word, and we thank you for your spirit. Um, Lord, we're not sufficient uh, to say anything, but Lord, we pray that sufficiency from you would come to us, and you'd make your appeal through the likes of me, uh, that your people here assembled would hear and be blessed, that we'd all be taught, rebuked, corrected, trained in righteousness, made more like Jesus than we have been before. Thank you, Father, that your word never returns to you empty, but always accomplishes the purpose for which you've sent it and succeeds in the thing for which you've given it, bringing transformation for the glory of your name. We pray for nothing less. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> this morning I want to talk to you about re-gift God's goodness. Uh, Christmas has come and gone. I don't know if Santa Claus brought you what you wanted. Um, I hope you realize now that uh, Santa is not real, um, that it was mommy and daddy uh, who brought you what you have, or your lovely spouse. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about re-gift God's goodness, that God would use your life, my life, and wealth to abundantly reflect his inexpressible gift. Um, please turn, if you would, to Luke 12. I'll begin reading at verse 13. Please hear God's word. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge and arbitrator? over you. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night you, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Uh, In a season of giving, it is always important to remind ourselves of uh, the grace of giving and God's continual call in our life to be giving people, generous people above all others in the world. We often re-gift gifts we don't like or want, uh, like white elephant gifts or even Christmas gifts. Um, But have you ever re-gifted something you really, really loved, waited all year to get, when you saw a need? This passage is a call to renounce covetous living and be rich toward God. As verse 21 says, says in conclusion, Solomon said, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. I don't know if you ever had gravel with your gravy, but it doesn't sound too savory. Solomon also said, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him for his deed. God will never, ever be in our debt. Coveting is idolatry. It's another God. But the true God's name is jealous. And he has no rival. And he will not serve, worship, or bow down to your idols. Therefore, you must, number one, guard your life in Christ against the world's creed for greed. Do you ever treat Jesus like your own personal genie? That you rub your Bible, make a wish or demand and expect Christ to take his stand and fulfill your every plan? If you're honest, sometimes you want to give Jesus a makeover like this man did in verse 13 and force his hand and force him to pause and put aside his agenda so your agenda can take first place. Uh, If you're honest, sometimes you wish you were God. And when you realize you can't be, you try to tell God what he ought to be and what he ought to do for you. That's what this man was doing. This man in the crowd asked Jesus to tell his brother to be fair with their father's inheritance. But Jesus' response exposes the reality of covetousness in this man's heart and life. He was a material man living in a material world. This man had not been mistreated. He just wanted more. Multi-billionaire John Davison Rockefeller once was asked, how much money is enough money To which he replied, just a little bit more. Jesus desires here to remind you, to remind us that life, real life, is not to be found in the abundance of your possessions. Real life is found in Him. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. Means fruitful labor so others can have joy, and make progress in their faith so that we would give others ample reasons to glory in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said, is not life more than food? You are not what you eat. Is not the body more than clothing? The clothes don't make the man or the woman. So your money, your degrees, your real estate, your stuff can't really give you meaning, can't give you identity, can't give you fulfillment. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Life is about knowing God and knowing his gospel and responding to his grace and his goodness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing, it's interesting, we said before, we need to say it more, uh, the only thing that, ever, that God ever wrote in the Bible, the one and only thing God ever wrote in the Bible, was Exodus 20, 1-17. The very first thing God ever wrote in the Bible was the Gospel, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, that's the first, that's the only thing God ever wrote with his own hand. He wrote the whole Bible, of course, but this time he said to Moses, I'll do this with my own finger. He wrote the gospel. And then he wrote ten ways to lovingly respond to that gospel. God wrote about, about covenant living, covenant love. Meaning in life comes from covenant living, not covetous living. You can gain the whole world, Jesus said, and forfeit your very own soul. When Christ was tempted to sin in the wilderness, uh, he, he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8. And uh, if you read that context, that context is about communion with God. It's about responding to God. A man should not live by bread alone, but by every single word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what we live by. We live a life of loving response to a God who has loved us. That's what life is about. When, when Satan showed Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory, Jesus' response was that that's not what life is about. Life is about telling Satan to get behind him and loving and serving and bowing down to the Lord your God only. It's about loving and serving God only. That's what life is about. It's about seeking first the kingdom and the righteousness of God. Therefore, number two, guard your life in Christ to bountifully share with those in need. Verse 16 says, and he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Can you be trusted with abundant possessions to share what you have with those in need? Can you be trusted to re-gift God's grace and goodness to you in Christ and give to others who plead? Paul said, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And this is said in a context where, where, where we are commanded to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. 
in verse 17 of this passage shows that there's a danger with prosperity. You get anxious because you have too much stuff. Has that ever happened to you? You can get anxious. We all get anxious when we don't have enough. But, but this passage talks about a man who got anxious because he had too much. He said, what am I going to do with it all? When you have too much, more than enough, what's your first response and why do you... It's your first response to have and to hold till death do you part. You get married to your stuff. You don't want to let it go. Pack it away. Or do you feel like giving it away? And if you give it away, why do you do it? Sometimes we give stuff away for self-serving reasons. Isn't that true? You give it away because it's in your way. <laughs> it's self-serving. You give it away to make way for bigger and better stuff. You give it away because there's some kind of guilt there. Sometimes superstitiously, we foolishly believe we give it away to secure our own stuff. You see someone in need and say, well, I better help or I might wind up like that too. And um, it's interesting. Um, in verse 17 through 19, three verses, this man 13 times makes reference to either I or my. He's really into himself into his stuff. He's addicted to self. In verse 19, he says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for yourself. Do you get comfort and confidence from God or from your goods? His cup ran over. His land produced plentifully. He tore stuff down to build bigger stuff, to pack it all away. His cup ran over. He was set for life. He could relax. He could eat. He could drink. He could be merry. Don't you want it like that? He had it all. But he was a fool. God said he was a fool. He was like Nabal. Remember Nabal? Back in 1 Samuel 25, Nabal was asked just to share a little bit of his bread, but he wouldn't do it. He was a fool. His name means fool. And he was treating himself like a king while other people were needy. Like Sodom. You know, a lot of people think Sodom and Gomorrah, their big sin was homosexuality. But the prophet said Sodom's sin was pride, excess food, prosperous ease. But they would not aid the poor and the needy. They got so self-addicted, that's when they did the abomination of homosexuality. You know, in our culture, a lot of times, that's the reason why we have a homosexual expression is because there's so much pride, so much prosperous ease, so much excess. We get addicted to self. We fall in love with self and don't want to care for the poor and for the needy. Extreme self-addiction. Contrast that with Paul's eagerness in Galatians 2. 
He's eager to remember the poor. We have reason to be thankful. Um, many people sitting here are very, very generous with what God has given you. Praise God. Praise the Lord for that. God has put that in your heart to be giving and be generous. And like Paul said in Thessalonians to those who loved well, he said, um, be ready to do it even more and more. But even though we have come to a place where we're generous in giving, we always need to check ourselves. What, the, what, did they, what we used to say, check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? <laughs> um, when, when your closet doors can no longer close, right? Uh, when your car can no longer fit in your garage, because of the abundance of stuff. When you need to rearrange everything in your refrigerator every time you come back from the supermarket to make stuff fit, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? You get a bigger house, that's what you do. That's got bigger closets and a bigger garage, and you get a bigger refrigerator. And you stuff and pack and prepare for the apocalypse. You go to your local climate-controlled, easy storage and stuff it, man, like a turkey. <laughs> uh, John the baptizer, he called folk to repent in Luke chapter 3. And his call to repentance was a command to share, to be content and not covet. Whoever has two tunics, share with the one who has none. And whoever has food, do likewise. Collect no more than you're authorized. Do not extort money. Be content with your wages. Sacrificial, generous giving should be our first knee-jerk response to our abundance. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You have been enriched in every way, we read today, so that we would be generous in every way. Listen to that again. You have been enriched in every way to be generous in every way, in order that thanksgiving might go to God. The Bible says, let the thief who steal no longer, but let him work that he might have, not to hold, but to give to those who have need. You give in faith above your means and live in faith beneath your means. Someone once said, when someone steals another's clothes, we call them a thief. Should we not give the same name to one who could clothe the naked? and does not. The bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry. The coat unused in your closet belongs to the one who needs it. The shoes rotting in your closet belong to the one who has no shoes. The money which you hoard up belongs to the poor. Someone else once said, 
When a man becomes a Christian, he becomes industrious, trustworthy, and prosperous. Now if that man, when he gets all he can and saves all he can, does not give all he can, I have more hope for Judas Iscariot than for that man. I believe that was John Wesley. Who's going to get your stuff? That's what God says in verse 20. He said, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Who's going to get your stuff? A good man, the Bible says, leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Coveting fools spend their children's inheritance. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured out in your lap. More than what you can contain, for with the measure you use, it shall be measured unto you. Jesus said, when you give a dinner or a banquet in Luke 14, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Whoever has a good eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. You know, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the giving of God's own dear Son, heaven's own treasure. God gave the very best. He couldn't do any better than giving Jesus. He gave the very best and and let that gift, that inexpressible gift as we read, keep stirring the pot of your heart to be increasing in giving and generosity. We're a generous church. That's clear. You compare sometimes statistics with other churches. This is a very generous congregation and And at the same time, we're always in need of stirring ourselves, reminding ourselves to be generous even more, to be giving even more. Um, Old hymn writers used to say, you can't beat God's giving. And, and, And not to be coerced into giving, but to be not guilt tripped, but to be grace tripped. You and I know the grace of God and how he put it on the line and And how Jesus did not think it was robbery, but he emptied himself and became a servant. Giving is not just about money, it's giving time, it's giving yourself, it's giving your talents. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 it says, our gifts have been given to us for the common good. Your gifts are not for you. God gives gifts for the common good to build up the body of Christ, to build up those in the world. Be a blessing. We have a subtle rule in our house that when a birthday comes along, you get a gift. It's yours for a day. After that, you need to share it. And God gives us gifts, and they are for the good of others. And what drives us, what has to drive us, is that 
We know the grace of Christ. We know the love of Christ. Paul said it's the love of Jesus that compels him and constrains him because he's convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died and he died for all so that we who live would no longer live for ourselves but for the one who died and was raised again from the dead for us. We have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live. It's not about us anymore the life we now live, but Christ lives in us. The life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who did what? Who loved us and gave himself up for us. He didn't want to dilute, count void the grace of God. And so let's encourage ourselves. Let's uh, mutually encourage one another in the grace of giving. Uh, this is a season of giving, and the season is coming to a close, but don't let the giving come to a close. Everybody's sending you emails now about year-end giving. Get your, get your year-end giving in. And uh, God calls us to be year-long givers, not just year-end givers. Isn't that true? And so let's continue to, uh, to um, establish ourselves in the grace of giving. We thank God for His inexpressible gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, let's, let's pray. Let's give thanks to God. Our Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you call us away from foolishness, foolish, covetous living, and to be covenant livers, responding to your grace, responding to the immensity of your love and your gift of Jesus. Father, help us to go beyond Christmas giving, and to be givers every day, all day, all year, to be characterized as thankful, giving, generous people. You're the only one who can do it, Father. We need your spirit to stir us. Uh, Father, keep us from from being coerced, but keep us in your grace, and that grace would constantly lean on us, moving us, stirring us to live beneath our means, to give above our means, to trust you for all our means, knowing that you won't leave us, you won't forsake us, you won't turn your back on us. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.